All right, welcome in Hot Grits Podcast, episode 131. I'm Travis Jordan. We're going to get going with some college football talk here. But first, Coach's Corner, our title sponsor and the number one sports bar in Savannah. John Henderson, the owner, and everybody over at Coach's Corner is in full football mode. We got NFL starting up this weekend, college football in full swing. Also, every Atlanta Braves game on those billion TVs that they have over there at 3016 East Victory Drive. www.coaches.net or 912-352-2933. Hot wings, cold beers, Coaches Corner. You gotta love it. Speaking of you gotta love it, check out the other shows on the Coaches Corner Sports Network. That's Carl DeMasi on Saturday mornings and Wednesday nights doing all things local sports, good interviews, and good information recapping the week that was and the week that is in high school sports. Brandon Bain on Wednesday nights, Rubbin' and Grubbin' show on the Coach's Corner Facebook page. That's all things NASCAR. Also archived on his YouTube page, Rubbin' and Grubbin'. Uh, And then Kyle Lawson and Carl on Who is on First Base Baseball podcast. Uh, You can find that on TuneIn and a couple other places as well. But check out Coach's Corner on Facebook. Check them out in person and tell them the Hot Grits Podcast sent you. All right, let's get after it for our 131st time Hot Grits Podcast. Ain't nobody gonna this your boy I've always kind of believed in aliens. I don't know if I believe in flying saucers. Ain't nobody gonna rip like You might as well just walk up to Cupid while he's on his lunch break, you know, crank his knee or something. Yeah. Right in the face. Punch some little baby right in. We'll see that. We're almost uh, three minutes into our sports podcast and yet to bring up not one sport. Roll out. Come on, You over there. You over there. All right, welcome back in another episode of the Hot Grits Podcast. Uh, Going to be mostly college football today. Sorry uh, to the listener, we are a day late here, usually releasing on Tuesdays, but I'm going to blame it on Labor Day being on Monday, so we're coming to you Wednesday, September 7th, off of essentially what is week one of college football, the real start of college football. Georgia with a blowout win over Oregon. Georgia Southern with a blowout win over Morgan State. So two good things to talk about coming up. But I wanted to start here. Let's start. Is Look, this is a Savannah-based podcast. Um, we have talked about this team before on the podcast at length. Let's talk about what happened at Savannah State first. If you didn't see what happened Saturday at Savannah State, it might have been because you were watching Georgia Southern. It might have been because you were watching the dogs beat up on Oregon. But Savannah State lost 34-14 to 14 in its home opener, its season opener, the first game under head coach Aaron Kelton. They lost 34-14 to 14 to an NAIA team. 34-14 to 14 to NAIA Southeastern. At home, first game of the season, Coming off arguably the best two-year stretch the program's ever had. Best three-year stretch the program has ever had. And you go out and get your ass kicked by 20 points by an NAIA team. I hate to say I told you so. It's early in the season, of course. But it was brutal. It was so brutal that the Savannah State Athletics uh, Twitter account, which was 
supposed to be tweeting updates because that's what it advertised all week. Follow SSU Athletics for updates on the game. Click here for live stats on the game. Well, mysteriously, while Savannah State was giving up 27 points in the second quarter, the live stats went out. They didn't work anymore. What a mystery that is. And then, on top of that, there were no game updates from Savannah State's Twitter account. There was nothing but points being scored by an NAIA team at Ted Wright Stadium in the head coach's first game at Savannah State. I mean, this is brutal. This, this is brutal because, look, this is probably the second easiest game on the schedule. Third easiest, maybe. They get Ed Waters this weekend uh, down in Florida. That's not a guarantee now. I mean, Ed Waters might be the worst team on their schedule, but Southeastern probably isn't far behind. They're an NAIA school. Should have hired Russell Tomasi instead of the man that never won a game. He never won a game as a head coach. 0-12, 0-13, back-to-back seasons, got fired. And what does the Savannah State Athletics Department do? They go out and hire him as if he was Mike Ditka. They're so proud of their hire. And then this is how it went. Let's read off the drives for Savannah State's offense to start the season. Here's, here's how they ended. Punt. 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 Fumble. Punt. 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 Every drive for Savannah State in the first three quarters ended in a punt or a fumble. Think about that. Punt, 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 fumble, punt, punt, punt. That's so bad. And that's what happens when you switch an offense for no reason. When you switch a program's philosophy, the strategy, the brand, all of it, for no reason, you had a great thing going and you punched yourself in the dome. You punched yourself in the face. And then Southeastern, an NAIA team, which has no business being on the field with Savannah State, they come out and they do the same thing. They punch you in the face. So you're just getting punched in the face left and right. Nine out of the 12 drives for Savannah State ended in a punt or a turnover. They averaged four yards per play. They threw for 96 yards. And the final score tweet to wrap this up. The final score tweet from Savannah State Athletics came at 3.52 a.m. In other words, we don't want people to see what a shit show this was. Boy, Savannah State, just when you thought they had a good thing going, they managed to get in their own way and it is off to the exact kind of start that one would expect from Savannah State after they were gifted, gifted a transition from Sean Quinn right to Russell DeMossi, and they fumbled it, and then that's what they did in their opening game. They fumbled the opportunity. Savannah State alums are pissed already because they lost to an NAIA team. I'd be pissed. I'm not sure if you line them up against South University if Savannah State could win right now. One thing's for sure, it'll be entertaining to watch. We're going to have to do our own research because I imagine Savannah State 
not going to be very forward with their uh, marketing, with their press releases concerning this football season. But we'll be able to find it. Nine of 12 drives ending in a punt or a turnover. What a whooping. Okay, so Savannah State, not good. What was good was Georgia's 49-3 whooping of Oregon Saturday night. Uh, Against number 11 Oregon, Georgia scored at will. Seemed like Todd Munkin, the offensive coordinator, pitched a perfect game. Uh, It was about as well as you could have expected Georgia to have played. I don't think anyone expected it to be that lopsided. Clearly not. It was a 17-point spread going into kick um, between the number three team and the number 11 team, but it was never close. I mean, it was never close. 49-3, Georgia wins. They're now 26-12 and versus top 25 teams under Kirby Smart. Um, a lot to talk about from this one, but I don't know that any of it really matters. I mean, it was so lopsided that it's tough to, like, take away one, one thing or, like, point to one thing that changed. I, I mean, Stequavius Bennett, who I've always been a fan of, I've never doubted him. Uh, I think people that did doubt Stetson Bennett are crazy, and they should never, ever have their own podcast. Stetson Bennett, 25 of 31, 368 yards, two throwing touchdowns, and another rushing touchdowns, and he only played three quarters. He only played three quarters, uh, had that David Green-esque fake and naked bootleg to the corner, which was an easy touchdown for Georgia. Uh, Bennett's now 15 and 3. As a starter at UGA, Georgia was 8-for-8 on third downs when Stetson Bennett was in the game. Uh, So he was good. I thought Kendall Milton, it was cool to see him, uh, you know, have have a a decent game. He had 50 yards on eight carries and a TD. Um, Also had an 18-yard receiving touchdown. One thing about Milton is that, man, he seems to have that thing that Zamir White had originally coming coming in, coming into Georgia, which, which is, man, he doesn't seem to break a lot of tackles, Kendall Milton. Seems like right when he gets touched, he goes down. But that, I mean, that is nitpicking at its finest. I think Georgia obviously could do whatever it wanted against Oregon. And I don't know that Oregon's that bad. Maybe they are shitty. Maybe Oregon's just really bad. But I don't think they're so bad that Georgia's first punt came with 10-19 left in the fourth quarter. They didn't punt till 10-19 left in the game. That's crazy. I don't think Oregon's that bad. I think it has to do more with Georgia. And I think Kirby Smart agrees with me. This was such an all-time quote from Kirby Smart after the game. Somebody asked him about Dan Lanning and, and that experience of like coaching against a guy that was on Kirby Smart's staff. And... The back end of this is so good. Here's what Kirby Smart said after Georgia's win over Oregon. Well, it wasn't about Dan Lanning. You know, I mean, it really wasn't. I saw him before the game. Um, got a lot of respect for him. We talked about talking after the game and, and you know, telling each other tendencies or ideas we had to try to get better. Um, we agreed not to share with other people because it only hurts both of us. And he's, he's – I got a lot of respect for Dan. You know, we, some of those players were out in that field. Dan Lanning recruited and Dan Lane did a tremendous job for the University of Georgia while he worked for the University of Georgia, and now he's working for Oregon. He's going to do a really good job at Oregon. He's relentless, and they'll bounce back from this, and uh, he knows 
that we, that we got better players. And uh, he'll never say it, but he knows we got better players, and I respect how he works. We just have better players. We just have better players. What an all-time own for Kirby Smart. Um, I don't know that Sanford, Samford, I should say, 1-0, I don't know that they're not going to give Georgia a tougher time than Oregon did. I certainly don't think Georgia's just going to win 49-3 every week. So we'll see. This week, this weekend, 4 p.m. at Sanford Stadium uh, versus Sanford on the SEC Network. Uh, I look for Georgia to have pretty much a cakewalk. Now, look, the game in Jacksonville looks a little more interesting this week, at least. We'll see what Florida does against Kentucky this weekend. But the game in Jacksonville looks a little bit, you know, more up in the air. I still don't think Georgia has any trouble with anybody in the SEC outside of Alabama. And so we'll see, man. Like, I don't know that this must be what Alabama fans have felt like for the last decade. If this is what it is, then I can understand why they tune out. Because I'll say it. I'll say it because it's just you and me here. It was a little boring. Seems like this is going to be a little boring of a season. Till December, at least. But that's fine with me. I want it to be as boring as possible uh, for the Bulldogs. And, you know, I don't think it's going to be any test this weekend, but I wouldn't be surprised if Sanford gives Georgia more of a fight than Oregon did. Who would have thought we would have ever said that? And what about my guy, Malachi Starks? Started at safety, or I don't know if he started. He played like almost the entire game, uh, especially when the game was, you know, not a blowout, which wasn't long, but he played a lot of different positions, had eight tackles, which was a team high, had that interception. And most importantly, he overcame Dan Jackson at strong safety. Uh, Dan Jackson's days as the safety at Georgia hopefully are numbered. Hopefully he's just comfortably there on the second team. I noticed that this guy tried to change his number in the offseason. Tried to change his number away so I wouldn't notice him. It didn't work. It didn't work. But Malachi Starks is the real deal, man. You don't see a lot of true freshmen for Georgia starting game one against the number 11 team in the nation and and having a performance like that. I mean, he led the team in tackles, Starks did. Played nickelback, played safety. Um, I mean, he was in the box a lot of the times. So Kirby Smart's going to love, love having Malachi Starks Back there, I mean, to me, he's sort of like Richard LeCount where he can do all that stuff, but he's better. He's better and he's bigger. So Georgia's got a really good player there, and he's definitely, definitely an upgrade over one Daniel Jackson. All right, we'll talk more about college football coming up. But first, Sweet Potatoes, a new sponsor here on the Hot Grits Podcast. Sweet Potatoes Kitchen on the south side of Savannah right there at 531 Stevenson Avenue. They're open on Mondays, 11 to 3 p.m., and then Tuesday through Saturday, 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. Southern food, southern style cooking, uh, excellent sweet tea, and a great place to get lunch there on the south side of Savannah. Um, If you want to call ahead your order, you can. It's 912-352-3434. 912-352-3434. Tell Steve Magoyas, the owner, 
that Hot Grits Podcast sent you. They'll hook it up for you. Um, usually not a wait, but man, is the food good. And, and look, it's way, way more convenient than dealing with anything downtown. So Sweet Potatoes Kitchen, they're a sponsor of ours. So you guys go check them out at 531 Stevenson Avenue and then like their page on Facebook. Sweet Potatoes Kitchen, a sponsor here on the Hot Grits Podcast. All right, what about Georgia Southern? A lot of good things happening down there in Statesboro. 59-7. to Clay Helton gets his first win as the Georgia Southern head coach against Morgan State. And look, right off the rip, last week we said there probably isn't much you can take away from a game against Morgan State. Okay, the, like Georgia Southern should beat a team like Morgan State 59-7. to The thing is that in the past, they haven't beaten teams like this. 59 to 7. They haven't, they've struggled at times against teams like this. Go back and check out main, the main game um, in 2019. Go back and look at Campbell, Gardner Webb, other teams that Georgia Southern should not be struggling with. They struggled with. But in this game against Morgan State, they did not. Uh, 14 points in the third quarter, 28 points in the fourth quarter. Um, look, it was 7-7 seven to seven with 9.40 left in the second quarter. And from there, Georgia Southern scored 52 unanswered. Hello! 52 unanswered points? I don't care if you're playing the Little Giants. That's impressive as shit. And the way Georgia Southern did it, like, I knew, we all knew that Georgia Southern was moving. They're not an option team at all, at all anymore. I didn't know it was going to look like that. Okay, I didn't know it was going to be 133 rushing yards to 367 passing yards. And this isn't a game that Georgia Southern was winning handily in the second half. So that's where a lot of the rushing yards came when they're trying to milk the clock out. This is not at all a knock. I'm just saying, this here is not a balanced offense. I, this is borderline air raid offense. Air raid not meaning taking you know a thousand shots downfield, but keeping the ball in the air. And Georgia Southern won a game. They, they rushed for 133 yards. Morgan State rushed for 172. Okay, so Georgia Southern was outrushed. Do you want to know how many times since 2014, since Georgia Southern became an FBS team, do you want to know how many games they've won when they didn't win the rushing battle? Zero. Zero. They were 0-29 when losing the rushing battle, and they lost the rushing battle last week against Morgan State. But they won the game, and not only that, they kicked Morgan State's ass. So Georgia Southern's 1-29 now in 101 games. When they lose the rushing battle, something tells me that that will change. This may not be the only game all year when Georgia Southern loses the rushing battle. In fact, I wonder how many times Georgia Southern's going to win that category. Again, who cares? Does it matter? No. But that's how radical a shift this is under Clay Helton and under Brian Ellis. 
I mean, it's remarkable. They're not, uh, you know, they're not easing their way into this thing. They're not easing their way into this thing. Kyle Van Trees, a little shaky to start. I thought, I mean, it was pretty obvious that he was shaky to start. And look, his numbers still weren't even that great. 17 of 30 had the pick, which resulted in a pick six. 195 yards, three touchdowns for Van Treasel. Uh, Ten different Georgia Southern receivers caught a pass. That's notable. I mean, that's extremely notable. Um, one thing I did notice is that I thought, I think myself and Mike Anthony might have talked about this, I did think that the tight ends would be more of a use in this offense, even if they're not lining up like under Brian Ellis and Clay Helton's offense, even if they're not lining up the tight ends on the actual line of scrimmage, you know, even if they're split out or if they're split back sometime, I thought that guys like Bo Johnson would be used a little more. I don't think that looks like that's going to happen. Instead, it'll be a lot of passes to, you know, from out of the backfield, from backs out of the backfield. Uh, You saw Caleb Hood, Sam Kinnison, Derwin Burgess, all of these guys that Georgia Southern fans have wanted to see get multiple touches in a game are are getting those touches now. And you're seeing what they can do with them. Again, against Morgan State, sure. But this was the first time out in this brand new offense with a lot on the line. I mean, you think about it, if Georgia Southern wins this game 24-10, to 10, this is a whole different week leading into Nebraska. Yeah, also, I should say, like an idiot, hand up. Uh, I was reading you Kyle Van Treese's first half passing stats. So check that completely. Hand up on that one. Kyle Van Treese, final stats. He did have a really good game. 29 of 46 with the pick, 367 yards and four touchdowns. Now that makes a little more sense. That makes a little more sense to me. Um, The two guys for Georgia Southern who got the most carries in the game, Gerald Green, Jalen White, they averaged 3.7 yards and 3.4 yards per carry, uh, respectively. So that's not like, that's not what you're used to seeing from Georgia Southern running backs. It's just a radically different mindset completely. Um, 77 plays ran by Georgia Southern's offense is crazy town. That never happens. Um, 11 for 17 on third down conversions. That's really freaking good. Red zone scores and chances. 7 for 7 in the red zone. That never happened. Only three penalties in the game. That wasn't happening at the back end of the Lunsford era. So a lot of, a lot of good things Coming out of this game for Georgia Southern. Uh, Kennerson, by the way, the former quarterback recruit out of Louisiana. Seven catches on seven targets for 99 yards. Um, Caleb Hood is is quickly working his way up the all-time Georgia Southern receiving charts. He had six catches for 88 yards on nine targets. Hood, um, Singleton, and Derwin Burgess each had touchdown catches as well. Um, It was about as good as you could have asked Georgia Southern to play outside of maybe the first eight minutes or so. Outside of maybe the first eight minutes or so. And you you could see on the broadcast, you could hear sort of the angst in the crowd. 
which you knew would come if Georgia Southern got off to a slow start. But that was turned around extremely quickly. That was turned around really quickly. Um, so I think Georgia Southern fans have a lot to be excited about. But here's the thing. Going into Nebraska this weekend, I mean, there's a lot of expectations, it seems like, from Georgia Southern fans about winning this weekend against Nebraska. And I understand why you would be skeptical of a 22-point spread. So it opened at 22 points. That's what Georgia Southern was an underdog this weekend at Nebraska. Um, it's, on, it's a game on FS1, I believe. Uh, 7.30, question mark, I think is the game time. Check me on that. But I, I, don't, I think it's, it went down to 21 at one point. And then you know, before I recorded this on Tuesday afternoon, it looked like it was back up to 23 points with the over-under around 60 I do think Georgia Southern will cover, but the thing about this offense, to me, it seems that, okay, it gives you the ability to hit, you know, to hit higher point totals per quarter. Duh, you're running more plays. Like, that That seems obvious. But if you string together any amount of three and outs on offense, games could get away from you quickly. Whereas when you're running the option, you do sort of tend to control the clock control possession, and so it can only get so far out of hand. I would just be skeptical if I'm a Georgia Southern fan going into this weekend. Just try to remind yourself that even if Georgia Southern loses by 20-something points, this is as much of a measuring stick for Georgia Southern as Morgan State was. In other words, this is not the end-all, be-all. Because Nebraska, as shitty as they've looked, you know, as bad as they've looked, and as much as uh, Scott Frost is on the hot seat, it's still probably the best roster that Georgia Southern will face all season. You could argue App State. You could argue Coastal Carolina, I suppose. Um, but look, it's a Power 5 team, and that matters. Okay? So... I would say this, no matter what happens this weekend in Lincoln, Georgia Southern should just know that the brand and what Georgia Southern and what Clay Helton and what Brian Ellis said they were going to do, this is what it's going to look like. So it's not always going to be this pretty and this nice. Certainly not always going to be 59-7. to But, you know, regardless of what happens... At Nebraska, and and just to be very clear, I think Georgia Southern covers. I don't think they win. I mean, nobody in their right mind should be picking Georgia Southern to win at Nebraska. They've never beaten a Power Five team since they joined the FBS. So, you know, I could see it going a little like the game at Minnesota a few years ago, where Georgia Southern really could have won that game. I, I don't know that the mistakes that happened in the Minnesota game will happen. Certainly not like a sideline penalty. That was crazy in that Minnesota game. Um, Certainly not the time of possession thing that happened at the end of that Minnesota game. But I can see Georgia Southern like being there in the third and fourth quarter and then losing. But regardless of what happens, I think you have to be really pleased at the way that Georgia Southern played this weekend. I know Clay Helton was pleased. He was really happy. Um... I took a clip of what he had to say on Monday about his team finishing the fourth quarter. Uh, that question came from Andrew Goldstein of WSAV. 
And it's followed up by a question from Preston Harvey of WJCL about uh, Nebraska this weekend. So here's Clay Helton on Monday afternoon. Yeah, you know, I'm big on situations, as I've talked to you many times. I believe in situational mastery and educating the kids on situational mastery. And as we all know, some one of the most critical parts of the game is the last three to four minutes of the first half and the first three to four minutes of the second half. And to be able to get a two-score lead going into halftime in that last four minutes of the first half, then coming out, getting a three and out, and within the first four minutes of the second half, being able to now make it a three-score lead, I thought that was really important, not only for us situationally, but for our growth and confidence. You know, this is an offense that, you know, is growing not only in their fundamentals and technique, but their confidence. And with each play, they gain more confidence. I, I watched uh, I watched Sam Kennerson right before my eyes uh, turn into a dynamo, you know, something that he's really done in practice. But all of a sudden, as he got into game flow, you could just see the comfort level of him at the wide receiver position. So, you know, to be able to have a second half like that, we talk about it, being able to make adjustments, being able to make sure that when we come in, that it's not emotion, it's about communication, uh, identifying what's going on, being able to either adapt a plan or tell them what's going on and here's what we're going to do in the second half and communicating that that's important for kids and it's important for coaches that's our job and for the kids to go out there and execute it yeah you walk up the field in the second half and you're a proud football coach clay you know just a little bit talking about nebraska as well you know what's that game plan and what are you guys going to focus on in practice heading into that big game well, it starts by you have to get the ball on the ground. I think they have three exceptional running backs. Um, it's really a three-headed monster. It starts with ten. You see the explosive runs he's had, uh, you know, in the in the first two games. And when you load the box, they have weapons on the outside that are explosive. Uh, and we're going to have to hold up in our one-on-one -on -one battles on the outside. Um, so uh, it's it's going to be a, an exceptional defensive challenge for our defense um, against what I think is a really good offensive football team. You look at, they start off a little bit slow in that game last year, and then you blink your eyes and there's 38 points on the board out of nowhere. And I mean, they can get hot and get hot in a hurry. Um, uh, and then offensively, uh, I really, you know, we're going to have to be uh, be patient. This is a, a defense that really makes you earn it. Um, they are they, You don't see missed assignments. You don't see technique busts. Um, they make you go the long way. And you have to execute. And you can't get behind the chains. Um, their edge rushers will be as good as we see all year. And they've got three or four of them that are special, special, that are NFL football players. And so um, not only within our game planning, uh, do, do we have to game plan for that? Um, but also, we're going to have to win some one-on-one -on -one battles at the tackle position uh, and be able to hold up. Um, and, and like we did last game, just have enough balance in that run game. To, that's the quarterback's best friend. Uh, if, if we can, if we can get the run game where it's effective, especially in the red zone, like it was last last week, um, that's that's a quarterback's best friend. All right. So there's some thoughts from Clay Helton on Monday. Uh, about his team finishing the drill, so to speak, against Morgan State. And then him looking ahead to Nebraska, which should be a really tough test for Georgia Southern. I, I think all eyes, really, as far as injuries go, should be on offensive lineman Brian Miller. Miller was forced to miss the opener, which which basically allowed Pashawn Wimley, I don't know if that's the right way to pronounce it, P-I-C-H-O-N, Wimbley, to start at the left guard position. 
It was the first true freshman to start on the line for Georgia Southern since Dorian Bird did so in 2010. So that is remarkable when you think about it, that a true freshman has not started a season opener for Georgia Southern along the offensive line since 2010. So regardless of you know, how he plays or how he played against Morgan State, it would obviously benefit Georgia Southern to get Brian Miller back. Um, you could see him on the sidelines last game, Miller, uh, with a cast on his hand. Don't know if he'll be back, but regardless, Georgia Southern has a really, really experienced offensive line. They get If you include Miller, four of the five starters from last year are back this year. Um, and then this from the Georgia Southern game notes this week, the Eagles entered the season with the fourth most games played on the offensive line uh, with... Let's see how many, 157, 153 combined games started for that offensive line for Georgia Southern. So that should be a strength all season, and it should just get even better when Brian Miller comes back. I'm going to make a prediction for this game. I'll, I'll say I, I know I want Georgia Southern to cover, and I, and I think I want to take the over on 60. So I'm going to say Nebraska... Huh. I'm going to say Nebraska 34. I'm going to say Nebraska 34, Georgia Southern 30. How about that? Nebraska 34, Georgia Southern 30. Chances are that will not come to fruition. And because I picked against Georgia Southern, that's good news for Georgia Southern fans because I've never been great at predictions. You know who's great at everything? John Carr. John Carr Realtor, the number one realtor in all of Savannah. Call him or text him today if you want to learn more about the market, if you're buying or selling real estate in the area. 912-228-0916. 912-228-0916. John Carr Realtor. Um, you can find him at 7505 Waters Avenue with Seaport Real Estate. Also check him out on Facebook as well. John Carr, Realtor, our guy here on the Hot Grits Podcast, and your guy if you're looking to buy or sell real estate in the Savannah area. 912-228-0916. All right, let's talk a little Braves baseball. The Braves have caught the New York Mets in the National League East, and in honor of them doing so, let's pay tribute to the New York Mets, the stinky, nasty New York Mets, and their favorite song, their favorite song. Now it's starting to become my favorite song. The Mets, man. You can always count on the Mets, can't you? I'm not going to get too far into it because the Braves um, are out on the West Coast. So hopefully they win tonight against Oakland as I'm recording this Tuesday night. 
So hopefully by the time you're listening to this, the Braves have truly caught the New York Mets. If not, they're still half a game back uh, with just a couple of weeks to go. And boy, the Mets, the Mets, man, they got to be puckered real tight. I know Mets fans are puckered up. They got to be puckering up real tight because there's no way they can lose this division after leading by 10 plus games. It's not possible, right? There's no chance, right? Maybe. Maybe so. I think the Braves can do it. And look, all we said this before, all they have to do is be within a few games coming down the stretch because they get the Mets three times in the second to last series of the year. So that's all it'll take. And they're right there, man. They are right there waiting to pounce. So the two games against Oakland, one game against Oakland now uh, when you're listening to this, and then they go to Seattle. That'll be tough. The Mets have an easy, they had a cupcake schedule coming down the stretch. But shit, man, other than that, I don't see anything that's going the Mets' way that the Braves don't have an advantage on. They're still possibly going to get Mike Soroka back. Ozzie Albies is on his way back. He's close. I mean, he's real close to coming back. Michael Harris has started to turn it around again. Even Marcelo Zuna has gotten into the mix. So as long as Kinley Jansen can just stay stay the course, Kinley, just stay the course. Don't have any more blow-up games. Don't ruin my take. And the Braves will be just fine. I cannot believe that they've caught the Mets this quickly. I really can't. I really can't, but I'm pumped. I'm pumped that they did. All right, that'll be it for this episode. I'll be back for episode 132 next week. A reminder, check out PrepSportsReport.com. PrepSportsReport.com. Carl and I and uh, Stephen Weeks doing all things high school football. High school football starting to heat up in this area. Benedictine at Ware County this week. That's a big one. Um, I'll be at Pooler Stadium for Savannah Christian and Battery Creek this Friday. Next week, we'll start region play. So you can find all of the previews, all the reviews, all of that stuff. If you have... You know, a player or team, you know, that you like to follow in Savannah, even if it's just to see if they won or lost, PrepSportsReport.com is the place because you don't have to pay. It's quick. It's clean. Simple. Not, not, no pop-up ads. None of that. So check that out. And then also check out the read option newsletter on ConnectSavannah.com. That's my Saturday newsletter. That's free. Um, you can find that. On ConnectSavannah.com slash newsletters, you just enter your email and then you'll get it every Saturday morning in your email inbox. And that's another way to stay up with high school football in the area. All right. Thanks for listening. Make sure you tell some friends. Rate, subscribe, rate, subscribe uh, until episode 132. Stay safe. Wash your hands, you filthy animals.
Savannah's premier indoor baseball training facility, SBPA is owned and operated by Ross Howard, and together with instructors who have played college and professional baseball, Ross and SBPA offer customized instruction year-round for baseball and softball players, full-length batting cages, pitching mounds, and a state-of-the-art technology to measure improvement are just a few of the highlights over at the Academy. Call Ross at 912-484-5282 and visit the Savannah Baseball Performance Academy on Facebook for programs, teams, camps, and more information about how to take advantage of this great venue. Savannah's only year-round indoor baseball facility, Ross Howard, our guy, give him a call, 912-484-5282. Commercial and residential electrical services that you can trust. Braddy Electric is Savannah's number one electrical services for commercial and residentials since 1970. It's family owned and family operated. Reach them today at 912-233-1561 or 1104 East 35th Street. Braddy Electric, that's two D's, B-R-A-D-D-Y. Five stars on Yelp, five stars on Google reviews, and Savannah's number one electrical servicer since 1970. Call them today, 912-233-1561.